Thank you, Matt. Good morning. As Matt prayed for me, uh, I was just reminded of the reality <laughs> that I need the Lord, and I need him to be here with us as I share the word that he's placed on my heart. Uh, my name is Phil, one of the pastors of Soma, and this is actually my first time preaching at North Northwest. We're excited about being here. Amen. Amen. Um, and so just so you know, before we get started, I like to have a little encouragement. I appreciate smiles. Uh, but just if you can do this for me, whenever I share truth, whenever I'm reading the word, that is, and speaking about God's goodness, I want you just to have the freedom, express the freedom of saying amen. Can, can you do that? And not only does that give glory to God, but it helps me to know that we're not in this thing. I'm not in it alone. We're in this thing together as we honor and glorify God today. Amen? amen. You did well. And, and so I would love for you to turn your attention to Psalm 24, uh, verses 1 through 10, as we continue our sermon series on the Beatitudes. Uh, I feel that this passage speaks to what it means for us to be pure in heart, what it means for the pure in heart to see the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, we're grateful. And as we read your word, we pray that you would open up our, our eyes and allow our hearts to receive what you have for us. You know where we are. You know our struggles. And we pray that your will will be done according to your purpose and what you desire to do through your people. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He, the king of glory. Amen. Glory be to God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. This is what God has done. He created this world for himself. He created this universe for himself. And in all of this, he has dominion in the world. All power and all authority belongs to him. His providential presence is in all of the universe. He's everywhere at the same time. For those of us who believe that, we can say amen. He knows where you are. He's right here with us. He's with them in Africa. He's with them in Asia. Let me keep going. You get the point. He has all the authority, all the power and dominion over all. He has chosen. He did chose the nation Israel to establish a relationship with them. And so that they could be his people. And we are part of that. We're going there. That they can be his people where we could make a place for his name to dwell. So that his kingdom is advanced and he receives the glory in all of creation. This is why he called Israel. This is why he called the church and this is what we, we come to in the Beatitudes. We realize that Jesus is on the scene. The kingdom of come, the kingdom of God is at hand in the person of Jesus. 
It is in the person and is the reign and the authority of Jesus that the kingdom of God was at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And as he addresses the disciples, he's preparing them for what it means to follow the kingdom, what it means to advance the kingdom of God. So we pick up here with Jesus preaching this sermon of the mount at the mount, and he addresses his disciples. And here we've talked thus far in past weeks about other aspects of the Beatitudes. This first, the first Beatitudes were concerned with our deep awareness of need. We talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. We talked about those who mourn, and we talked about those who are meek. And last week we talked about those who are merciful. And today we will cover what does it mean to be pure in heart. What does it mean for the pure in heart to see God, to see Jesus? God faithfully pursues us with his unwavering love and tender mercies. We are his people, and he desires us to know him better. This is for us today. He wants to know, he wants us to know him better. He wants to reveal himself to us. I have two points that I wish to cover within this text And we will primarily focus on verses uh, 3 through 10. Uh, But the two points would be, what is it? We're going to ask this question. What is a pure heart and what is it not? We want to understand what it means to have a pure heart and what is not a pure heart. And then the second point would be, the pure heart will see God and are blessed. Oh, God. That's what we're looking at here. And we pray that God would help us see him today. So the first verses and the first point is, what is a pure heart, and what is it not? Verse 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? You know, people, my brothers and sisters, we're not worthy to come before the holy, loving God. So the question is asked, who shall come before the holy, loving God? Who is worthy of coming before his presence? That's the question of coming and standing in the holy place. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The pure in heart describes those who are qualified to come into the sanctuary. God qualifies us because he gives us, he calls us to have a pure heart. We have that access to come before him. So you're good. You're good. You're in the right place. The pure in heart. The question is, are we all pure in heart? Oh, we're going to go there. So I just want to raise that up a little bit. Uh, So what does it mean to have a pure heart? What does it mean to be pure in heart? It it means this. Those who have integrity, those who are honest about everything. Integrity, singleness of devotion. I am committed to walking and following God. I'm devoted to him, a single devotion. And it also means undivided loyalty. I don't care if you're not with me in this. I'm going to be with God because he calls me to. Undivided loyalty. So the three points about what does it mean to have a pure heart? Those who have integrity. Those who are singleness and devotion and a devotion and undivided loyalty. I feel like I'm talking loud today. If you weren't awake, you should be now. If you're not a morning person, you're probably annoyed. But you did come to church, Amen. <laughs> So, there are those who mourn that that feel bad about impurity of heart. I get that. And and, and, and see, the only way that we can be pure in heart is that we have to realize how impure our hearts are. That's a big lesson there. 
How can you understand what it means to be a pure heart? What's the qualification? What's the criteria for having a pure heart? Is realizing that your heart isn't pure. We ain't never liars. We're, we're disloyal. I mean, come on, let's tell the truth, somebody. Who has no sin, cast the first stone. I ain't Jesus because I'm talking about me too. I say we. Now, y'all, some of you looking like, what? How dare you say it? Let me keep going. We got a diverse group here this morning. Amen. I just have to acknowledge that. That's a beautiful thing. All right. So what? The only way that we could have a pure in heart, we have to realize that our hearts are impure and to mourn about the extent of what we know that we shouldn't do, but we do. So it's not only realizing that our hearts are impure, but also that it should bother us that our hearts aren't impure, that our hearts are not pure. It's it's, it's a mourning because it's grieving for us to say, I'm not where I need to be. Paul had something. He had a perspective on that in Romans 7, verses 15 and 20. Oh, let me just take my time. You don't have to go there. I'll just read it very slowly. But if you want to, you can do that. Romans 17, verses 15 and 20. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. That's a true statement. Can the church say amen? Is that something that you resonate with? Hallelujah. We're struggling with some of those things right now. We had some of those struggles this morning before we came to church, and we still not worked them out yet. Amen? Wait till we get home. Let's keep going. So we acknowledge our sinful hearts and we need the powerful work of the cross of Christ working in us through the Holy Spirit so that we can experience deliverance and freedom and we can be broken broken from the strongholds. We got to believe that God is able to do that for us. Yeah. The gospel of Jesus Christ is concerned, or rather the gospel of Jesus is concerned about the heart. Here we are want to look good. We want to perpetrate. We want people to see the good in us. But God isn't concerned about all the, out, the external. He's more concerned about what's going on with you. That you we can't keep in a secret from God. He knows all about us. Uh, so here's the deal. Jesus put emphasis on the heart, and he does, not want, he, want, he does not want us to focus on our external efforts, although they are important. But he wants to deal with our conduct of heart, not our religiosity, not the ways, the things that we do, how much scripture we know, how much we can memorize, and how spiritual we appear before the people. That is not his concern. Those things are good. We're called to be salt and light. But more importantly, God wants to deal with us on the inside. Can I get a witness? So here's what a pure heart isn't. Here's what it isn't. Now we're going to talk about us. It's telling lies. Making false statements about people. It's being deceptive, saying or doing something with the intent of causing harm to another person. So here's a question. Think about this. To what extent do our actions and words reflect 
or are reflections of what is inside our hearts. I'll read that again. To what extent do our actions and our words reflect what's on the inside of our hearts? How often do we perform for others or do and say the things that are not true of who we are? How often do we compromise? Because we want to fit in. Because we want to be accepted. Because we are people pleasers. We lie to God. God sees it. We really can't lie to him, but we think we are. We think he didn't see those things, but God sees it. We are exposed before him. We lie to ourselves. You know, we can make ourselves believe stuff that is so, so, it's not, it's so not real, but we just want to believe a lie. We do that a lot, and, and we actually lie to other people. We lie to them because we suggest that we have it together. We don't. We don't. You know, when I was preparing for this message, I had some challenges because I had to deal with my heart. I had to realize when I learned through Scripture what a pure heart is and unclean, what, what, what clean hands are and what unclean hands are not, then I, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. I haven't been convicted by man this week just yet because I haven't been telling all of my secrets. But the Holy Spirit has been dealing with me on this, so it's not easy for me to share this message. It's real. It's going to be raw by the power of God's might and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we have ears to hear. You know, we manipulate people to get what we want. We do it in the workplace. So subtle. We, we call it agendas. <laughs> Some call it playing politics. Oh, I can name the name of Jesus on Sunday, but when I go into the office or go into the classroom or in the neighborhood, you know, I got to get something out of this deal. We all have agendas, and we play politics. We want to get our way across. We want to get our agenda over. We want to win with what we believe is right. Is that true of us? Boy, I got a lot of people saying amen, even with their heads and with their smiles, some with their voices. That's a good thing. You know, parents, oh, man, how often do we want to teach our parents to do what's right? <laughs> kids, you want, who got kiddos in the room? Oh, gosh. We, kids, we want you to do the right thing when you're in the classroom. Obey your teachers. We want you to be respectful to your classmates. Don't hit them because they hit you. I don't know if you tell them that or not. And, and but we, we put, we portray this, this, this religiosity before them and saying, this is what it means to be a good Christian now. And then they kind of look at our behavior when we interface with grown-ups, and they say, Mom and Dad, I thought you said I should handle it this way. You didn't do that. Now, I know if you're parents, you know you've heard. If you've got old enough kids, the kids are old enough, you've heard them say this. But uh, you told me this, but why are you doing that? Praise the Lord for accountability. Pure in heart. Okay, let me keep going. Oh, what about when we go into the office? I have to stay there. When we go into the office and we, we know that we are named the name of Jesus and people are talking about having these jokes, these unclean jokes, the, the humor that isn't really that spiritual. And we just say, hee hee ha ha. Hee hee ha ha. Oh, yeah, you ought to stop. And we don't say that's wrong. That's not right. But we just go with the flow. We're not being real to who we are and what we believe. Or what about some of those compromises? What about some of those decisions that corporate wants to make and we don't blow the whistle? 
and we don't say this is not right by God's standards or it's not right by humanity's standards. You're hurting people. Are we willing to speak up? When we got a pure heart, we are able to acknowledge that this is wrong, and here we go. Even when we are called out by our kids, by our peers, by our brothers and sisters, admit it. You're right. Mama, daddy was wrong about that. Mama, daddy didn't handle the situation well. We were not Christ models. We were not good examples of Christ or what Christ would do, and we're sorry. Kids need to hear that. Coworkers, too. Oh, but you're supposed to be that. But I need to come to you and apologize because I made a decision. I said something that I shouldn't have said, and, and I'm sorry for that. That is not what my God expects of me. I'm a Christ follower. I only come out of the closet. You see, let me just tell you that I know Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. And, and what a great time to share the gospel is sharing out of brokenness. That's what a pure heart is. Say, so I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, I, I am prone to sin. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want to do well by you, but I'm a broken man and I'm, or woman. I made some mistakes here, and I need to apologize to you. What a great way to minister to witness to people in the workplace. Even in the church. Oh, do we offend each other in the, in the house of the Lord? Oh, yes, all the time. And sometimes, but we can put on airs and, hey, brother, hey, sister, hee, hee, ha, ha. <laughs> just skinning and grinning. And our hearts are just like, I don't like you. I know you've been talking about me. I know what you're thinking. Huh? Yeah. But we're not dealing with that. But it's better to step out and say, now, brother or sister, I really have, Someone shared with me, or it came up, and you need to tell that someone to go with you so they can stop telling everybody else, by the way. You hear what I just said? That'd be gossip. Someone shared with me that you did this, and I want to approach you. I want to handle that. Do it in a loving way. That bothered me, okay? Real quick before I move on. This is real. I told you it was a hard challenge. It was a challenge for me this week, preparing for this message. Gossip. So I'm at a, a coffee house <laughs> and talking to a couple of guys, and we brought up another person's name. And one of the guys proceeded to say negative things about the other guy. And I thought, ooh. <laughs> I thought, ooh. My expression said, ooh. But I didn't say, that's not right. I was listening. He was venting. You see how subtle that is. So I'm listening, and he's talking against someone else, and there was another person in that area. Careful when you, first of all, you got, we got no business gossiping, right? But when you go into a place where it's kind of small and people can hear conversations, I mean, people can hear conversations. So this other person who was listening, on the, listening in on the conversation, and he knew the person the other brother was talking about that I was listening to, and he, he called us out. He said, brothers... That is not right. And started quoting scripture. And I was like, oh, my. So I, I feel I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. One of the pastors at Soma, I didn't say anything, but, I, you know, I was listening, but I didn't tell him no. You know, I didn't. You know. And he called. And I said, I'm sorry. You're right. That was gossip. And the other brother apologized. That was a wake-up call. Now, how many of us have been in those situations? Okay, that's why I went there. You know, Jeremiah 17, 19 says this, the heart is desperately or deceitfully above, I'm sorry, is wicked. The heart is wicked above all things and desperately sick. 
Who can understand it? The heart is desperately wicked. It's sick, our hearts. That's the condition that we are. That's the condition we're in. Matthew 15, 19 says this, out of our hearts come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. I haven't done those things. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't slandered anyone. I haven't stolen anything. But if we've thought it, we've committed it. That's how sinful we are. And God knows it. And you know what? We know too. Have you murdered people yet? I have. I've murdered some people. Man, I feel bad about that. I'm just being real with you. I have. In, in, the, in the depths of my heart, I'll say, oh, I wish. Yes. I've thought it. And to God, it's as, it's as if I committed it. That's how messed up we are. God wants us to have a pure heart. Not one that we disguise our hearts. We disguise our hearts and our actions. But we're truthful. We're being honest. Okay, we'll, we'll keep going. Our hearts, our hearts must be pure, clean, and unstained. That's what God calls us to. That's the standard. I know at this point we're thinking, but we can't do that. You're right. That's why Jesus came. Right? It's acknowledging that we are impure. It's acknowledging that we are broken people. It's acknowledging that we are sinful, but we're not going to stay there because we desire to be more like Christ, and we want to allow his spirit to work in our hearts, and he convicts us, and that we do the right thing, that we accept what is right, and we follow him according to his word, that we do the hard thing because he makes it easy for us. You hear that? Hard for you, but Christ makes it easy for us because of who we are to him and who he is to us. Here's a quote. William Secker, you don't know the guy, Christian writer. He's been dead a long time ago. Here's a quote. Until we taste the bitterness of our own misery, we will never relish the sweetness of God's mercy. Until we see how foul our sins have made us, we will never pay our tribute of praise to the Christ for washing us. If you would know the sins of of your heart. That's a broken state of mind. But that is the sin of our hearts. It's good because we acknowledge that we need a God who is better than we are, who is perfect. He takes the impurity of our hearts and makes them right. To be pure in the heart means to have courage to admit to God and yourself and to others that you are as bad as you really are. We want people to think well of us. We want because we think we're good. We're thinking we're all of that. We're not as good as we think we are. We're not as good as other people think we are, true. When our hearts are pure, then we have the appropriate perspective of God, and we follow him in his way, and we fellowship with him through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the for the power of the Holy Spirit. That was a long point. Second point, the pure in heart will see God and be blessed. So while you're feeling beat up, hurt, 
And admitting that we are messed up people, we realize that that is a good place to be before God. It's acknowledging that we are broken, acknowledging that we can't do everything the way that we want to do it, that we are not good, to be honest with you, and acknowledging our need for him to make us better by the power of his might, through the help of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, we will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of the salvation. God provides us with grace, and we receive faith in Christ, and it leads us to righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. Lift up your hands, O gates. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. The king of glory may come in. We stand before God. We don't have to stand in shame, but we stand in confidence of who he is and not in who we are. Shame keeps us away from the cross in our own mind. But shame is the very thing. Shame and sin and disparity is what God allows us to experience when we come to the cross of Christ to receive help. That's salvation. That's the salvation we receive. Yeah, there it is right there in verse 5. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, of the God of Jacob. Wow. Psalm 61, verse, Psalm 61, 1 through 3 says this, Oh, God, you are my God. This is how we earnestly seek him. Oh, God. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. So I have looked up, looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because of your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Oh, we ought to praise the Lord here this morning. We earnestly seek him because he, he's all we need. And our brokenness and our sin and our shame, he is what we need because he loves us. Because he wants to help us get through the challenges that we are going through. Is your heart pure today? How do we see God? How do we see him? How do we see when all of the misery is going on with us and in us and in our families, in the world? How do we see God when we don't trust him? How do we see God when people have hurt us? How do we see God when we feel like no one's fighting for us, no advocates? Oh, but he is fighting for us. Jesus is our advocate. So how do we see God? To see God is to know God. To see God is to know him intimately and to admit to his presence and, and be an awestruck of his glory and comforted by his grace. The pure in heart see God and they gaze upon him, a gaze upon his beauty. It's taking a minute and seeing the great creation that God has blessed us with. And we are part of that creation. Is to seeing the, the handiwork of our God and looking at the landscape, going to the mountains, enjoying the rivers. Gosh, we need to slow down sometimes. We need to be still and know that he's God. We are always trying to figure it out. We're always trying to uh, measure up. We're always trying to pull that agenda, get that agenda across. But we're not taking enough time to be still and to see God. To ask the Lord, why are you taking me into this desert? 
Why are you taking me to the valley? You prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. That's what he does for us. Do you see him in your circumstances right now? I pray that God will reveal himself to you. To see God, it means to meditate upon his word day and night. Got to do the work. He's done it all. He's made it easy for us. And all he says is, come, come, come see me. Daddy is saying, come see me. Daddy is saying, just be still and listen to me. If you want to see him, pursue him. Read the word. Meditate upon the word day and night. Stop trying to figure it out in our own way, in our own power. But let's seek God's face. Let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be, added, will be added unto us. He would help us understand it. Let's see God as we confess our sins and admit it to each other. Oh, that was the Lord that allowed me to confess sin, wasn't me. Because I wouldn't readily confess my sins to my brother and my sister. Not readily. But if I am doing that, if I'm confessing, then I'm seeing God because I acknowledge my brokenness. And so do others. And others see that they can do the same thing too. What a witness for us to have a pure heart. And that pure heart means that we experience brokenness. We're vulnerable. We're naked. We're naked. Pride is an issue, isn't it? It is for me. I want to measure up. People expect me to be here. I want to lead us in the church. I can't be thinking about murdering people. What's wrong? Elders, Elders Nate, Bobby, Andrew, we got to have a talk with Brother Phil. He's murdering people. He said he's murdered more than one person. I'm being honest. Let me keep going. We see God in confessing our sins. We seek him or we see him when we seek his face and we enjoy his presence. We see God through our experiences. We see him. Sometimes we don't want to see him in those experiences, but we need to see him. We need to experience his presence. We need to know that he is right there. We need to know that in dealing with all of our heartaches and knowing that he is gracious to us. And even with our our sicknesses, we need healing. We need to see God. We need to see God in order to be delivered. We need to see God to receive comfort. We need to see God to persevere through the things that he has us in. Sometimes he doesn't deliver us out of the storm, but he delivers us within the storm. He gives us the perspective that while you are here, Lord, I'm going to trust you anyhow. Yet, though they slay me, I will trust you. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. He won't disappoint you. Cry out to him and he will respond. A few weeks ago, I did some crying. Some of you know that you know, we, we experience loss. Uh, within 48 hours, we had two losses. We had two losses. Uh, our daughter, my wife and I, our daughter and our son-in-law had a miscarriage. And, and that was tough. And, and I remember the last time that I was here, and I had just, we'd come back from the hospital that morning. I don't want to relive it. I know my wife is here and my daughter, it's a hard time, thing for them. But I'm sharing what God is doing for me through this process. And, and we, we thought we were out of the woods, right? And then later on that day, 
uh, we lost our grandbaby. And, and for all the years of ministering and come alongside of people who've had miscarriages and just saying, yeah, I'll pray for you, I'm there with you, I didn't understand it until it hit home. You know, we have desires and dreams, and God blesses us, and he gives, and then he takes us away. He takes away. And we don't understand that. Why? I had already made plans about what I'm going to do with my grandbaby. Having some good time, you know. It was a pride. It's a good pride. That's my baby. That was hard. And then within 24 hours or 36 hours, um, or 24 hours, I lost my uncle. He passed away uh, in, in Atlanta. And we knew he was, he was dying. And, and, and we knew he was a believer. I know that he's a believer. But the hard part for me was that my grandmother, she's had to bury five of her kids. She's lived long enough to bury five of her eight kids. And so I just hurt for her. I was having a hard time, y'all, is what I'm saying. My heart was right for God. I was poor in spirit, for sure. Isaac, I experienced a little mourning. But then God was preparing me to understand what it means to have a pure heart. And I was at a place of saying, God, I need you. People reached out to us. We see God through the fellowship. We see God through family when they say, we're there with you. You're not going to go through this alone. We see God. But if we don't have those experiences, perhaps we don't realize the good that we have in God. So we have to have those experiences to have that pure heart. It hurts. It hurts. But I had an opportunity to, to see God for a whole week. I'd already planned a vacation. Let me just finish telling my story, and I'm going to move on, and we're going to close out. But I had an opportunity. So after that happened, the following week, I scheduled a vacation. God knew. Scheduled that vacation two months prior, and God knew that I needed that week. Not to run down to Atlanta. The funeral was on a Saturday. I had to do a wedding, and so I couldn't be there for my uncle's funeral and be there to encourage my family. So I had to say, Lord, be with them from a distance. But I had an opportunity to be still. I had an opportunity for a long, a long time to feel. I felt the pain. I, I became the one who, whom I normally minister to. Those who are saying, Pastor, can you help me through this thing? I was in need now. And I'll and I, and I receive the help that God sent me. I saw him through the people. I saw him through the phone calls and the text messages. Even had a brother say, during the middle of the week, I want to meet with you. And he ministered to me. And I just said, thank you, brother. You know when it's hard, when you're going through something, you can't even speak. And when you speak, you feel like you got something in your throat. You're about to break. You're about to crack. Because it hurts. But God prepares us to meet him. He gives us a clean heart. He gives us a clean heart, a pure heart so that we can see him. Psalm 34, as we come to our close, Psalm 34, 4 through 5 says this, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Do you hear that promise? The pure in heart will never be ashamed because God took all of the shame and sorrow, and he washed and washes our sins away in the blood of Jesus. That's the promise he offers to us. I'm going to give you some application, and then we're going to pray. How, do you see the God? How, do you, how does the pure see God? We read his word, and we allow his word to wash our soul. 
soul need washing. The word of God does that. And we meditate upon there, on his word, and we stay there. We stay there. We surrender our hearts daily to him. Lord, I need you. Lord, I messed up. We acknowledge that. We admit it. I messed up. I'm not as good as I want to be. I'm not as good as people expect me to be. But I acknowledge that I need you. We could be such independent individuals and say, I got this. People expect us to be strong. You're the man. You're the leader. You're mama. You're the sister, the big sister, the big brother, the auntie. They expect us to be strong. We take all of that pressure on ourselves, and we're crumbling. We're breaking under the pressure, and God is saying, go ahead and break. Let it break you. You need to come where I am. That's what it means to be pure in heart. Surrender our hearts daily to him. Make time to confess our sins before God and to other people. We need accountability. We need people asking us the tough questions. We need people asking us, is your heart pure? And when they ask that, we should be able to say, yeah, it's pure because here's how messed up I am. <laughs> Not all the good things, boy, I've been memorizing the whole passage of Hebrews. Oh, I'm telling you, the Lord doesn't give me victory in that. No, 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 I'm talking about your brokenness. I'm talking about our brokenness. Oh, God, have mercy on us. We ask the Lord, like in Psalm 139, says this, my heart. See if there's any sin in me. See it. If we don't see it, ask God to show it to us because it's in there. It's in there. I need to wrap up. We pray and we pray. And Lord, we look at the rest of those verses. We worship. Worship allows us to see God. When we can privately worship at home, singing praises to him, and lamenting even, but we come into the house of the Lord and be having the freedom, and I praise God for the leadership at Northwest, where they're saying, lift up your hands and cry out to the Lord. Please receive that. That is seeing God. That gives you freedom and gives you deliverance by allowing yourself to acknowledge, allowing yourself to let go and allow God to, to pour over you, letting him to pour into you your empty cup. That's what worship does. It allows us to see how much we need him and reminds us of how good he is to us. Yeah. That's what worship does. It's good for the soul. It's good for the soul. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. God is with us. Who is king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Of glory.